Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 20th episode of the Uke Stuff podcast. My name is Chris Russell. I am a music teacher who actually be teaching elementary this year, but ukulele will be coming with me as I go to teach my students. And what I wanted to talk about in this podcast is my recent trip to NAM. This last weekend, I decided it's, it's kind of a goofy situation. My wife had a pre-existing commitment, uh, a friend's birthday party, 40th birthday party, so she wasn't going to be around. My own sons were going to be at my parents' house, and I found out that Nam was going to host an open door on Saturday the 20th of July for their summer Nam. And I thought, you know what, I'll do it. So I applied, and I found out that I actually didn't apply for that Saturday, but for the entire conference. Uh, as an educator, it wasn't very much. It was $25 to attend. And quite honestly, if you attended uh, two or three of the breakfasts that they offer while you were staying there, you'd make your money back immediately um, just in terms of food. So um, that said, I was registered as a full educator to go, and I drove down pretty much all of Friday attended uh, Saturday for about six or seven hours and then headed back and I was going to record a video of my thoughts on my way back but I decided um, that I didn't like the audio that was happening uh, lots of bumps in the road and um, the traffic was a little crazy and I didn't want to be distracted in driving um, in those conditions where it was you know people were stopping for unusual reasons on Saturday on the way back home so I decided to put this off until today, and it's Monday uh, following NAM, and I'm back home in my normal recording of our downstairs office slash bedroom, and I uh, wanted to talk about what I saw. So uh, first of all, on Saturday, I got there very early. That's one of my tips for convention is if you want to park where the parking is available and plan for, you have to get there very early, and you have to attend those first couple of sessions in the day. So the very first session was the best of the show and what's really interesting is they had a panel of about i don't know if it was six or seven people and each one of those people presented products in different categories such as the thing i gotta have in my store and they were all from the music business industry in terms of like music retail um so really nam is centered around uh, vendors who make the products presenting their wares to companies that want to carry those products and they work out contracts while they're there and all sorts of things so uh, the education side is a little different um, I would guess that not a whole lot of music educators attend the event because it's not really truly education based and you're not coming there as a teacher talking with for example Kala saying yeah, I'd like a 30 set of ukes for my classroom. That doesn't work that way. So it's a little different focus, and that's okay. But um, so I attended that show, and what was interesting is, and somebody else put this another way, there was a guy sitting at one of the string booths, and he was you know, selling violins and violas and cellos and basses. And I asked him, I said, what kind of business do you get here? And he said, well, you'd be surprised. We actually do get a bit of business he said, you know, especially from like the music stores and such, but he says, we are very aware that we are a string vendor at a guitar show. And boy, was it ever a guitar show. And the big news, by the way, was that Gibson is back and they had a huge display in the center of the vendor area. 
So, um, with that in mind, with the fact that Nam is basically first and foremost a guitar show more than anything else, if, and it really is. Uh, if you saw the the Martin display and you saw the Taylor display, they had an entire like floor to themselves. The Gibson area, which was about a quarter of the entire vending area, area I'm not even joking with that. It was pretty impressive with guitars, and I have a friend that's very much interested in guitars, and I was sending him pictures back throughout the whole thing. So as a ukulele person there, obviously in the minority, but um, the ukulele certainly has a spot in modern retail, and in that that was clear. And what happened was, in that little panel of those six people, there were a couple of mentions of ukuleles, and I'll just tell you what they were. The first one was that Lanakai won Best of Show for the Gotta Have It from the vice president or president of Hyde Music in Wisconsin, Dee Dee Hyde. I believe she and her husband run the stores, all the five locations now. And if you, by the way, if you've heard of Hyde Music, that is where Katie Denure from One Music School, another YouTube uh, teacher that teaches ukulele guitar and now has some episodes on singing she teaches lessons at one of the Hyde stores maybe even the original one in Appleton so uh, anyway Dee Dee Hyde recommended the Lanakai Bakote it's a thin line uh, Lanakai ukulele with an arched back a really wide nut I think 37 millimeter nut which is two millimeters larger than your your average nut on a ukulele. Yeah, so anyway, Lanakai was given this award for best of show, which is pretty cool. And then uh, Levi's or Levy's straps found out that they were bought out by Gorilla Cases, but they're continuing to innovate. And there are new bamboo ukulele straps for people that would like an environmentally friendly strap rather than like a nylon strap or something like that. That was just mentioned, although Levy's didn't specifically get the award, but Gator Cases got the award, and they talked about some other issues around it. And then the other winner was Hal Leonard, and Hal Leonard is huge. If you've ever stopped to see what Hal Leonard's into, not only are they a music publisher, but they're a distributor of just about anything. If you want anything in music, they can often get it. And turns out that uh, it was mentioned in, in that same ses session that Flight Ukuleles is now owned by or not owned, but distributed by Hal Leonard at that show. So uh, if you live in an area where your music vendor works with Hal Leonard, which they almost certainly do, they can order you a flight ukulele, which is pretty cool to know. So um, that was the best of show. And then I kind of walked around once the sales floor opened. I got kicked out once because I was dragging my outdoor ukulele with me and they told me I couldn't bring an instrument into the show so I had to go out and put my ukulele back in my car which because it's an outdoor ukulele it's not a problem uh, came back in and walked around the show and um, then walked around the different vending areas and I just wanted to talk about each of the ukulele things that I saw there and just share them with you I think this will be a pretty good summary of everything that was there um, the most surprising thing to me was the Amahi dealer and for those of you watching the video I'll hold the catalog this is the Amahi catalog and they have like four or five lines of ukuleles that they carry um, I'll hold this up for the show you can see they have the Amahi brand the penguin brand which is a really um, low cost deal um, low entry 
point into the ukulele world snail ukuleles which have been reviewed very well they are distributed for snail they don't really make them themselves i believe is what i was told and then the real fascinating one to me was this one called panda ukuleles and in the panda and i don't have one because they weren't for sale what amazed me with the panda is they have a brand new instrument i'm trying to turn to it as i'm talking here if you're uh, listening online if you're watching you can see me flipping the pages um, the panda has a new plastic back with wood front that is incredibly reminiscent of the TUS 35. In fact, here are the panda ukuleles, and hopefully they're showing here. And I'm not seeing them. Looking again, find those watercolors. They're actually called watercolor ukuleles, and I'm not seeing them. I thought I saw them in this catalog earlier. But uh, ultimately, they have these uh, ABS-backed, then a ABS neck with traditional metal tuners and a wood front and a little wood plate on the top, on the headstock. And I am very, very interested with one of those and called our local supplier and asked them to order me one so that I could try it out. And I'm just not seeing it in the catalog. I thought it was in the catalog. But with that in mind, um, it's a $39 minimum advertised price. And the thing that Amai told me is that they're not going to be selling on Amazon. So like with so many brands, you can order a ukulele off of Amazon. Amahi wants you to go to the local dealer. So um, they also have a Sopranissimo coming out this fall. They had uh, some demos of those in the various colors. They're going to be selling around the $60 price point, um, maybe $69, something like that. It's meant clearly to compete with the Ortega Sopranissimos that, were, that have just recently started being shipped and were reviewed by Gotti Ukulele. The most, uh, the biggest uh, like newcomer with a giant table actually, a really long table, I'm gonna hold up another image, is Bamboo. Let's see if I can get that close in the image there for those of you watching. Bamboo ukuleles from Argentina. And in fact, it's kind of cool. The uh, people representing the company did not really speak much English. They spoke Spanish. So they had hired a uh, young woman from Puerto Rico to come and translate at the session and I was talking with her a little bit and she's actually going to enter the Air Force here um, in just a couple months. I asked her if she was sticking with the company. And one of the couple of things that were really interesting about Bamboo, they are again Chinese imports, uh, but they had a couple of really neat things. One was most of the ukuleles were incredibly economically priced and I believe they're shooting to start selling on Amazon so for under a hundred dollars you can get into their ukuleles but then a majority of their ukuleles had artwork on the front I'm going to hold up um, a picture onto the camera a bunch of different Argentinian artists who have custom designed images to be printed on the front of some of these ukuleles and I thought that was really cool um, a bunch of I'll show another picture there bunch of different designs from bamboo and we'll be seeing them come out in just a couple of months they said three or four months and i will try to get in touch with them and see if i can do some kind of review with them or or work with them but that was kind of exciting to see a company is just trying to enter into the u.s market uh, the best one for me to visit was to finally get a chance to meet somebody that i've been emailing with for a while 
Rock Clouser came to Lanakai a few years ago with the intent of completely remaking the ukulele market. Um, the owners of Lanakai is the Horner brand, which is owned by another company, and uh, they were fully aware that Lanakai's image had been tarnished in the ukulele world. They were just aware of it. Um, Kella had taken off like a, like a rocket. Um, a lot of other vendors were coming in, like Ohana, and they realized that they were losing traction. And what's important here historically is that Lanakai really was the spearhead of Mike Upton, who left Lanakai to open his own company, Kala, and um, which ironically means cash in Hawaiian. Lanakai is just the name of a beach there. And um, so Rock came in, and he really has quite a vision for the company. So basically, he threw away everything they were doing, brand new start, and he had these guidelines of what he was looking for. So, for example, when you buy a Lanakai, you get a gig bag with every ukulele. And as you go up the price point, the gig bags get incrementally better. So if you're buying a $300 or $250 uke, you're also getting basically a $50 to $70 uh, really nice soft hard case if that makes sense there's gig bags and this kind of middle ground of like this soft sided hard case and they even are now selling some full hard cases but i think those are sold separately and those look really nice too had a couple of those on display but as i mentioned they received an award for uh, best in show in terms of gotta carry it and they are doing some really nice things with some laminated prints, this quilted maple series that's like uh, colored and has these beautiful, you know, um, ebbs and flows in it is just amazing. But every ukulele is edge bound, so you're not going to get sharp frets. Um, a lot of, he was even talking about, if you take a look at the new Lanakais, they're even um, the tie bridge is different. It's not a tie bridge, it's actually a loop-to-loop -loop bridge. I'm not sure how we're going to Term, use that terminology in the future, but you run the string in, run it around, and run it up, giving a really hard break on the angle on the bridge, which is supposed to transfer tone to the body of the instrument. It's an interesting thought. Now, again, does it make a difference? I, I don't really know. I mean, I'd, I'd have to see scientific tests with it, but you can see that there are various things that he definitely believes in. Like, for example, when you're dealing with the neck of an instrument, he believes that the joint should be up in the headstock, not in in between the nut and the saddle where the vibrations are being transferred to back down to the instrument. So, and then um, they're using an extra wide nut on many of them. They're using Grover tuners on the higher end instruments. So you can see that they're really putting a lot of thought into what they're doing. And they're also building these new models out backwards. So they started kind of at the higher price point, which is the exact opposite of what you would think you'd do in this economy and in this world. But they built backwards and are building back down. And if you remember, Lanakai has a budget brand too. It's called Kerala. They are going to start dealing with the Kerala series too and updating that. Because if Lanakai had kind of an interesting image in the brand, or the world of ukuleles, imagine what their budget brand was. So it's it was just really exciting to talk to him and realize, you know, it's not just um, 
it's not just a selling point for him. Obviously, he wants to sell ukuleles to people, but I'm just a teacher. I'm not a distributor. I'm not a, a music vendor. And um, he took some time to talk to me about their products and was just very, very pleasant to talk to and very knowledgeable. And I think we're going to see really good things uh, from Lanakai as we already have with their company. So that was kind of fun. Um, another one that was just really not a shock was Kella. And Kella had the largest booth by far. Yuku Lenny was there um, playing and jamming and holding a couple um, sessions. They brought a slew of ukuleles. They were all on display. Everything that you've known and seen. What really kind of stuck out to me was, in, like, even in their product brochure, I'm holding up the Cala catalog, which is really rather thick. I mean, it's it's not a half inch thick, but it's it's at least a quarter inch thick of all their different ukuleles and everything that they offer, including an extended range of bags and accessories that they're adding to. Um, they also dedicate a lot of time to their artists. There are some Cala branded artists and some people that they're they're working with, like Mandy Harvey, who's the deaf singer that was on America's Got Talent, um, Emily Arrow, who I haven't seen too much from lately, but a children's author slash songwriter of novels of books of, of deals. She kind of runs and was the inspiration of their um, Learn How to Play. Ukuleni is in there. Um, it's just, they took really a lot of time to emphasize people who are their, their artists. So that was kind of fascinating to me. Just, you know, and lots and lots of interest at the Cala booth. So they had a couple of new models there, but nothing really fancy. I mean, the super tenor, uh, a tenor body with a baritone neck was really the, the big deal. Um, I also saw Ortega ukuleles. I had a chance finally to hold and to play the Hydra. It's heavy. Uh, that double neck ukulele, which I want and will probably buy from, I think Uke Republic is the vendor that would have it and set it up right. That would, of the vendors that I know that carry Ortega. And um, that was interesting. I also had the Keiki uh, Little um, Supernissimos with the turtles on them that are just starting to roll out on the marketplace uh, it was very negatively reviewed by Gata Ukulele, but as I'm a person that kind of has a collection of Sopraninos going, for $60 a sir, I'll probably add one of those and one of the Amahis in the future. So um, it was interesting to play the Hydra and to think of what I would do differently with it. Um, a couple other stores or vendors had some understated presence. Uh, Martin was there, and they had a display with four ukes amidst all their guitars. And uh, maybe I'll even drop a couple pictures of these various things in um, with the video on YouTube. But I had a chance to play the Contra Uke, which is basically, I, I don't think it's Koa. It might be Koa. The original Contra Uke, by the way, was a ukulele that went on a trip to the Arctic Circle in the early 1900s. And as the person went, uh, Contra, and brought smuggled his ukulele along, he wasn't supposed to. As he traveled, he um, asked people of fame to sign it, and as they returned, he asked people to sign it. And they Martin managed to get a hold of that ukulele, and um, actually, with the help of the Smithsonian, 
they scanned it even under the signatures that were faded and were able to get all the signatures. I don't think they know who everybody is that signed it, but they, they were able to get all the signatures and they make a laser etched replica of that ukulele that sells for about $2,500. And it's not a bad ukulele. I had a chance to play it. It's, there's not just one. There's, there's, you can buy one if you want one. Um, but it sounds a lot like a normal Model 1 Martin ukulele, punchy and loud. Um, it wouldn't be a bad ukulele to own, but at $2,500 uh, for just names that are just etched in there, not totally sure that it's worth that much more than your standard Martin, which I think retail for about $430. So, um, I don't know, but it was kind of interesting. There's the Is Tenor. I've played those before. I've seen those before. Um, it's a version of the just the normal Martin tenor with a couple of tributes to Is. Um, and then uh, finally, there was a Model 5. And that's their blinged out ukulele to the max. And nobody was there near the ukulele, so I just picked it up and played it. And quite honestly, I was kind of underwhelmed by it. It's beautiful. Absolute beautiful piece of work. But I'm not sure the sound was worth $5,500 for that ukulele. So that's kind of what I saw there. Um, there was also uh, Washburn was there. And Washburn, originally from the Chicago area, um, they make Oscar Schmidt ukuleles. And there hasn't been a whole lot of um, fire from the uh, Oscar Schmidt line in some time. I might try reaching out to them and seeing what they've got planned. I know... Years ago, they had some really good relationships with ukulele Mike Lynch uh, when the ukulele craze was starting off, and I think uh, they had built a pretty good name for themselves, but I haven't seen much in terms of these last couple of years. Um, and then the ukulele that I need to talk about that I'm always impressed with every time I see it, and it's completely understated, and it probably shouldn't impress me the way that it is, is the Alvarez one of the first ukuleles I ever thought about buying instead of even my Kala MKC. Um, I was trying to go cheap, which I probably shouldn't have done. Um, I looked at an Alvarez. In fact, there was one in a store in, I think um, it was in Ames, Iowa, when I was down there presenting at the Iowa Music Educators Convention. There was an Alvarez on the wall, and it was an RU... 22-C or something like that and I really liked it and I should have just bought that one to be honest with you at the time that's before I actually um, bought my own ukulele but I didn't and um, so every time I pick up an Alvarez I like how they sound I like how they feel um, I know they're criticized as being an import they're criticized like many guitar ukuleles like um, I didn't see any ukuleles hanging around the Fender area. They might have been there, but I didn't want to go into the whole... I mean, the Fender area was, like, walled off, and I just was like, yeah, you know, I'm just not going to fight people to get in there and see what's going on. But, you know, there's some criticism pointed towards Fender and Cordoba and, and these companies that make guitars first. But I think some of that, you just have to play the instruments and see what you really like. Speaking of Cordoba, they had a few instruments on the wall as well. Uh, the thing that interested me about that was I didn't see any protégés. Cordoba has an entry line, or they've been selling an entry line called a protégé, and I did not see that one there anymore. So 
Um, with all that in mind, that's pretty much what I saw as it came to ukuleles. Other than uh, anything from Fender I didn't look for. I don't know if Taylor, I don't think Taylor carries the, any ukuleles. Um, Gibson, I don't really think, is selling any ukuleles at the moment. So I didn't see any there. But other than that, I think that's a pretty good summary. Uh, the other thing that I saw that I'll just mention is Music Nomad was there for the uh, video. I'm holding up a little packet of sample of F1 oil. And this is what has kind of intrigued me. Again, going back to Katie Denure from One Music School, uh, she had been sent some products by Music Nomad. No question about it. She admits it. Um, so it wasn't like a hidden sponsorship. And she talked about their products. And one of those products is the Octopus 8-in-1 tool, which I have bought and I love. I would recommend it to anybody uh, that plays a string instrument. It's great for some of the stuff you've got to do with the ukulele and dealing with uh, tuners, tightening screws, that sort of thing. It's a great tool. But they make a, a whole range and make a nice mat that you can put your ukulele on. But they also make oils. And they are a company that says don't use lemon oil. Although lemon oil is the standard in the industry for oiling your fretboard and your bridge if it's made of wood. And they suggest using their product, F1 Oil, and they've got uh, tests that show the F1 Oil lasts longer and continues to condition your fretboard long after the lemon oil is dry. So I'm tempted to try this, and I'm certainly, you know, as the, the, the policy should be, when you change your strings, you should take the time to oil your bridge and oil your fretboard. So I certainly have no qualms picking up a container of F1 oil in the future because all it takes is a couple of drops to um, uh, really condition a fingerboard on a ukulele. So um, anyway, Music Nomad was there and I wanted to mention them as well. And the only thing that I bought, now please note, NAM generally you don't buy things. You make deals to carry things in your store. So the only thing that I bought was a capo. And I'll explain that for a second. And what I happened to do is I happened to, or I had to run across my whole house and we're in the process of moving uh, my kids' rooms right now. So everything is kind of in a state of disrepair and I didn't quite know where everything was, but I ended up pulling all of the capos that I own down here for this video. So I've got everything from, and I'm gonna hold them up to the camera, a very, very cheap uh, capo that came with one of the instruments. I've got a um, capo from the Papulele, which I use occasionally. And then a couple other, here's another cheap one. This one's a blue plastic cheap one. And then a one that I think I ordered online, uh, something house, string house or something, a really heavy duty um, capo. But the issue with capos is that they have these like extruding, extruding arms on them that stick out it can get in the way of the way of your playing. So last year at Christmas time, uh, I'm going to hold this one up too. I recommended, by the way, this company was there as well, the G7 ukulele capo, which is this really lightweight plastic capo. And I actually was looking all over and I couldn't find it and finally um, found it amongst some stuff. Super tiny, super light, and really stays out of your way. Um, but the challenge is. It, I mean, it can disconnect quickly, but it's really not a great capo for fast changes. I still highly recommend it. It's inexpensive. Um, I think I got mine from B&H at a really, really affordable price, and it was said it would take like 
three weeks to get there and it showed up like two days later. Um, love this capo. So I would definitely recommend it to you. But there are times that it just, you need something else. But these other capos with these really large necks get in your way. So there is a company called Shub there. And that's all they do basically is capos. That's their main product. And I asked the guy, what what's it about the Shub that should make me want to buy it? And he said, well, here's the deal. He says, with the spring-loaded, which is what of most of these are, these ones with the really, um, you know, some, some of them look like a shark, like for Baby Shark, there you go. If you're an elementary music teacher, you can get a shark capo and sing Baby Shark, right? But um, the spring-loaded puts a lot of tension on the strings and, in fact, may put on too much tension, causing the strings to be pulled down out of tune. So what the shub does is it has a, um, in particular the, the ukulele one, which is their L9, and they have it in like five or six different colors. I just got the standard silver one for those of you looking online. It has this little dial on here with a little uh, thing that bumps up and down that raises the amount of tension that you have when you're holding it on a ukulele. And as a result you don't have to put any more tension on the strings to use your capo than you want. Now, again, you could do that with a pencil and a rubber band, but then it's, again, dealing with a quick change situation. You don't have the ability to change that up really quickly. So, uh, the shub also just, the, the bottom lever just pops off once it's, you know, once you want it to come off, and then you can get it off there really quick. And they, they did sell that to me on that last day of the show. That's okay, as the show is consumer-based that last day, or at least consumer-aware. And uh, so I bought that, I think, at, a, at about a $10 discount from what would normally be online, which is just fine. But now I've got one of those to use. I just have to make sure that I keep that in my G7th, where I can find them at all times. So that's pretty much what I saw at NAMM. Um, also had a chance to just visit with the makers of the X5 wireless control. They were there. They have a ukulele called like the the F Zone or something like that, or F O Zone ukulele. Um, Hal Leonard is carrying yet a second ukulele brand that I can't remember off the top of my head. Never heard of it before. But um, if you haven't had a chance to visit a show like that, and you're a music educator, you probably should to see what the music industry is like and how they. Uh, work out selling products and getting people excited about products. That's kind of interesting. And if you are, for example, a music educator, I still can't encourage you enough to see a convention like Texas or a convention like Ohio. And I don't mean to pick on any other state conventions because they're all good. And I'm not just saying that to be sarcastic or to just make everybody happy. Every state has good things going on when it comes to music conventions but the scale of Texas is so huge. It's bigger than NAM for music education. Uh, even the vending space is astronomically much larger than NAM, and some of the same companies are represented there. And the other thing that I learned is I would love to go to Winter NAM sometime. It's a little bit tricky as a teacher because that's in the core of our second part of the year, maybe not officially, but awfully close to it, in the dead of winter when generally we try to not miss too much school during those those dog days of winter um, following the new year. But I would love to go and see all the different products at Winter Nam 
and in particular to see when the K brands such as Koaloha and Kaniela and um, uh, not well, Kala will be there too, and Kamaka are represented um, there as well, and have a chance to interact with those companies and those instruments. And just I could see myself spending easily a couple days uh, walking around Winter Nam, just seeing what's out there because Winter Nam is just a larger scale, larger scale altogether. And of course, there were a ton of other things there. There were guitars. There were um, all sorts of accessories of various kinds. There were there was so much other stuff to see at National Nam, but what I've been told in all ways is that Winter Nam is just so much so much bigger. So I think that covers what I wanted to talk about, what I saw at Nam. Uh, again, if you get a chance to go to it, you might as well. If you if you get a chance, uh, they have an open day for non-educators or non-attendees, at least that they did this year. And I think those people only paid like $15 or $20 to attend. An educator can get an entire pass to Summer Nam for $25. That's an incredible deal. You just have to work through an approval process. And I think that covers pretty well what I saw and what I wanted to tell you about. I'm working on some other podcast episodes here for the summer. So hopefully there'll be a couple more before we hit back to school in just about a month. I'll try not to shudder too much at that. And actually, I'm looking forward to the change and the challenges that lie ahead. So I hope you're having a great summer. Thanks for listening to the podcast. And we'll catch you next time.